大家好，我是 Joanne， 我是美国人，我住在纽约。啊、uh, ，我说中文，你们在听 The Fluent Show。Welcome to the Fluent Show, a podcast all about loving, living, and learning languages. My name is Kirsten Cable from FluentLanguage.co.uk, and on this show, we talk about anything and everything interesting from the world of learning another language. I hope you enjoyed last week's show with voices from the Polyglot Conference. If you haven't heard it yet. It's worth a listen. Go back and listen to episode one hundred and ten. This week, a fairly short one for you, as I'm battling a little bit of a cold. So I apologize. I'm going to sound a little breathy. <laughs> But I have got a listener question for you, and it's a fairly interesting one. As you know, every other week on the Fluent Show, I put aside a little time to answer your listener questions. And this week's question comes from Sheila. So before I dive into the question of the week, I want to give a shout out to our show sponsor, which is LiveLingua. Thank you so much, LiveLingua. If you've never heard about LiveLingua.com, this is a website where you can find immersive online language lessons via Skype. Their instructors are all native speakers of the language they teach, and there are eleven languages available, and they will work on work with you one to one. And LiveLingua actually check out your teacher, so they vet them all for you. They match you up with someone who is available at the right time, you know, whose time zone suits yours, and they're teaching at the right level for you. So there's a lot of Analyzing and questioning that you don't really have to do with the Live Lingua system, and I really appreciate that. I tried it out myself for a test experience with a Spanish lesson, and I thought it was excellent because all I really had to do is email them and say, "Hey, this is my time zone. I'm usually free on Wednesdays and Tuesdays at this kind of time," and they came back and said, "Okay, here's when your lesson's going to happen." And it takes a lot of the hassle out of tutor hunting. You won't have to go through this lengthy testing process. The rates are all at the same level, meaning you can budget and plan ahead. And whether you need basic phrases and questions for an upcoming trip, or a comprehensive understanding of the language with grammar, with regular speaking practice, and you know a real long-term commitment, you are going to find the right teacher at LiveLingua. So it's worth a go. And to make it easier for you to get started. LiveLingua is inviting all listeners of the Fluent Show to check out LiveLingua's platform with a free trial lesson that you can get at livelingua.com/fluent. So just go to slash fluent, you get that live trial lesson just for you. Their immersive language learning method is convenient, it's productive, it's built for your specific requirements, and it's definitely worth a try. So do visit livelingua.com/fluent to sign up for your free lesson and give them a shout and say, "Hey, thanks for sponsoring the Fluent Show." <laughs> That's LiveLingua. Let's have a focus on this week's question. Like I said, it comes from Sheila, and she emailed her question to Kirsten. That's K E R S T I N at fluentlanguage.co.uk. I want to remind you: you can do the same if you want your questions to be answered here on the show. Here is Sheila's question. She says, "Hi, 
I would love to get your thoughts and advice on how to narrow down or simplify my to-learn list. I feel, and perhaps you'll agree, that I want to work on quality, not quantity. I'd rather improve and be comfortable in fewer language languages rather than just dabble and get by in a long list. How do I decide and know what to keep and what to admit from my languages list? I have studied many over the course of my years, but I know that some may be more useful and practical to me, like Chinese and Spanish. Others I hardly use unless I were to go back to that country, like Hungarian or Polish. I feel, moreover, if I have studied the language in the past, I'm obligated to keep it on the list. Is it okay to let go of some languages and concentrate on others, you think? Even if I have again studied it previously, there's no rule that says just because I had gone, into a, it gone to a certain country or visited that I must keep that language. Really enjoy your podcast. Thank you so much for answering. Well, Sheila, thank you so much for writing in. I love this question. It's, it's meaty and it's, uh, it's not an uncommon polyglot dilemma. So it's not something that we haven't sometimes seen or heard before. And it's not, worth, uh, it's not something that, is, that needs to be neglected when we are thinking about language learning because our language choices play a big role in what motivates us and what keeps us going. And in a way, your choices, your to-learn list, how happy you feel about the languages you're going to learn, those are success factors. So this question is a common polyglot dilemma. And I want to look at our choices in general of languages to learn. With over 7,000 languages spoken by humans on planet Earth, I think it's helpful to put one thing to put one thing straight right at the start. There is not enough time on earth to learn all of the languages. Even if you're a what some people call hyperpolyglot or hyper super duper polyglot. You know, if you're a person who has learned and accumulated an awful lot of languages, maybe more than most humans can imagine, it doesn't doesn't tend to go far above 50 like no one no one has learned a thousand languages that's just I've never I've never seen it and even if they had they'd still be far away from all the languages spoken on earth and then you've got all the languages that used to be spoken on earth and alien communication or whatever it's just impossible so in other words y you're doing you're doing something very smart I think by making friends with the idea that you, you'll miss out. And we, we all can make friends with this idea that we are going to miss out on a few languages in this life and we'll have to leave a bit of language on the table. And that idea will, will come in maybe handy later when we're thinking about other things that you might be leaving on the table. Like Sheila identifies in her own email, some people do differentiate when it comes to language levels and ambitions. So a word about that, we can dabble in more languages and we can start learning in depth of focusing and improving and, and really reaching higher levels in languages and the difference there on on the most basic level is really how much time do you put into them dabbling is to me spending say something between 40 and 50 hours with a language. At that point, you're still dabbling. You're sort of playing around with it. You're not that serious. And there's no, there's no pressure level, but at the same time, there's no 
huge kind of goal to reach or achievement to to hit when you start learning i think the real i'm seriously learning this language kind of process it it kicks off when you decide <laughs> on the one hand but on the other hand if you if you're hitting over 100 hours of doubling i think at that point you're you're getting serious and your level is going to go up because at some point you naturally will will have seen things more and more and more and this can feel like a really serious choice to make. Like, am I doubling in this language or am I learning it? And the question only you can answer here is what are you expecting to gain from learning this language? If you want to feel accomplished, hold conversations, feel like you're adding a useful tool to your sort of tool belt, then doubling can actually be more frustrating than it can be fun. But if you're maybe preparing for a short-term trip, you know, you're coming back soon, or like Sheila says, there are languages that are likely only going to be that useful to me when I actually go back to that specific place. So if you know this is temporary, having a bit of dabbling isn't going to do a lot of damage, and it can actually take the pressure off to think, well, I don't need to reach a high level in this language. So there is... There's, there's sort of something to be said for each side. And like like Sheila says, she's actually made her choice already. She wants to work on quality and not quantity. But if you're hearing this and you're thinking, well, I want to actually learn 20 languages and I'm not that fussed about quality. I would rather get the basics right in 10 languages than only know two because I want a, a very broad range. That's absolutely fine. The only real risk that I perceive with dabbling is... That feeling of I left something I left something on the table, I left something behind that I want to get back to, which which can then become this sort of language choice that is haunting you. And if that is the case, then you gotta face it down and you've got to say, Well, actually, Hungarian, it keeps my mind keeps wanting to engage with this. I keep curious, I keep interested, I keep I keep looking at it. I keep saying words to myself and things like that. So when that fascination is there, then you got to face that. And then you might have to do a little bit more. So that is, the, that is this sort of third reason that we don't often acknowledge. That is, to me, one of the biggest reasons why we do pick up languages is when that language just, I don't know, it just captures you. You know, when it just captures your imagination and you just want to. That's a valid, valid reason, and it's a good reason. And um, it's every bit as important as this language is useful, especially when you're learning your languages for a, for a hobby. And if, like Sheila, you're learning Polish, Hungarian, Chinese and Spanish, it might well be that there is a level of, of hobby among this. And I want to make a third point, which is... So we've spoken about the number of languages on planet Earth, and you, there's no way you can learn them all. Number two... The, this difference between doubling and learning a language in depth and that it's it's really up to you as the learner to make that decision. And number three, you forget languages that you have learned before. So Sheila talks about having studied languages in the past. Does she need to keep them on the to-learn list? And if you have studied languages in the past and you haven't engaged with them in a while, they're not on your to-learn list. They're sort of on your ex-language list and we've had a few conversations here on the podcast about for example getting back with your ex-language 
or actually learning a language that you've forgotten. And I'm going to put that show in the show notes if you're interested. It is, it is true that you just won't forget. You won't forget 100% a language that you have previously learned, especially if you've learned, you know, like, like I said before, and not dabbled. It's especially true if you've learned several languages from a similar language family. And this applies to, to, to all languages you've ever learned. For example, in Croatia, where I recently traveled with Lindsay, I was doing a lot of looking at the Croatian language and trying to figure it out and sort of working out what, what anything says. I've never studied Croatian in my life. But I have, many years ago, maybe five, four or five years ago, I studied Russian for a little bit. Maybe spent a year sort of studying Russian. And I can... I recognized so many Croatian words from Russian, even though I had not spent a second on the Russian language for a year. But certain words, like the, even the most simple things, the words for Mr., the words for, for Apple, <laughs> the words for, for work, they, they just kind of stuck there and they came back. And the same thing, as I was, as I mentioned earlier, I took the Live, li live Lingua test lesson in Spanish this year. I was able to model through my Spanish and I can model through in Spanish for 15 minutes. I can get the gist of most basic texts, even though the last Spanish straight up lesson I had was over 10 years ago. And I'm being generous to myself. There. <laughs> it's, I think it's 15 years ago that I took my last real regular Spanish study. But the thing is, because I'm a French speaker and Spanish was my think third romance language and sort of I'm you know I'm somebody who speaks who speaks English on a regular basis and um, sort of Spanish is in popular culture you never really let go so I never really lost it so that was my third point there is that we forget languages that we've learned but never entirely so taking a language off your to do to learn list doesn't mean that language is eliminated from your brain it'll still it'll still be there and you can kind of trust your brain to hold on to it And before I sum all this up and go into a few tips based on this week's question, I want to address a really great point that Sheila makes in her email, which I was so happy to read, is that she says, well, there's no rule that says I've got to do it this way. And this is right. This is so true. <laughs> Applause. There is no rule. There is no rule that determines how you go about learning your languages, what your list looks like and how you personally decide this. It really is up to you and you can claim this with a level of pride and with a level of confidence. So Sheila, here are a few options that I noted down for getting more clarity in your to learn list if you so wish. Number one, do allow yourself a double in some languages if you want and try to choose one or mass maximum two, I would say, big focus languages every year unless you're a full-time, you know, polyglot, 30 hours a week of language learning. But if you, like a normal, like most normal people, have a limited amount of time to give, focus on maybe one or two big languages, because you say you want to put uh, quality over quantity. So if you want that quality, really do focus, but allow a little bit of time aside on the side to play. Why not? Number two, your reasons and your considerations of what's practical can always vary so of course it's okay to focus on the languages that are most relevant to your life right now so at the moment you're saying well polish isn't 
isn't going to be that practical for me, but Chinese will be. And this could be because you have specific travel plans or you're considering work or people to speak to or, like I said before, you're simply drawn to a language. And on the whole, I would say no rules exist here or should exist that would tell you exactly which language choices to make and your life may change completely. So if Polish becomes incredibly practical to you in the next two months then you can always switch around and that's absolutely fine i mean i'm speaking as somebody who's been learning the the welsh language and has often been asked like why are you learning it it's not that practical it's not as handy as say spanish and to be honest in my life the way i've set things up at the moment i actually come into contact with an awful lot more welsh than spanish so for me personally now it's more practical to know welsh because i've put so much of it around me And it's handy enough to know Spanish, but not within the microcosm of Kirsten's house, <laughs> you know. So it depends on what your goal is, really. It depends on what is most practical to you. And you're allowed to set those priorities and you can change them around however they fit. If your goal was to learn as many languages as possible, several polyglots say that it is helpful to learn language families together. So that might be a handy tip. But we have got a separate podcast about this called How to Learn Several Languages at the Same Time. And in that we, if I'm to summarize, we concluded that there's no, <laughs> there's just no way of doing this one thing. There's a few ideas that are quite handy. So check out that one in the show notes as well. Do take the risk. And I really believe this. If you, you said, is it okay to let go of some languages? And I want to tell you, yes, I think course it is okay to let go of some languages and do take that risk and trust yourself that you may have to relearn something in the future and trust it won't be as much as learning it the first time relearning a language when you've built a solid foundation for it even if you built that foundation 10 years ago It's not as difficult as starting from, from the beginning. A lot of it will come back, more than you think. And don't feel like just because you say to somebody, I speak Polish, that that means you have to speak perfect Polish or you have to be the super advanced level. You can keep a language like that in your list if your list means you list it when somebody asks you how many languages or which languages you know, then you can say, I know Polish, it's a bit rusty. Or if you want to take it off your to-do list, if your list of obligations, you are more than welcome to. I'm reminded of, and I mention this sometimes, a book I was reading around the time when I switched from Russian to Polish. And that book is Refuse to Choose by Barbara Scher. It's really a careers advice book, sort of talking about how it's possible to have several career identities or to do several things at the same time. It's that idea of this multi-potentialite, a very interesting book. And Barbara Scher asked, I thought this was so cool, she asked the question, if you're feeling the need to switch, if you're feeling the desire to, to switch, or you're just getting, you know, charmed by something else, you know, you're slowly your, your focus is shifting, could it be because you actually got from that language, from that project that you're working on, you got what you came for. And this, I think, is a very interesting thought to bear in mind. So, for example, if you feel the need to switch from learning Chinese to, to focusing on learning a lot more Spanish, 
could it be that at this point the Chinese language has kind of given you what what you came for? And I'll name an example from my own experience, which really was when I switched away from Russian. It was at a time of my life when I'd stopped traveling to Russia and Kazakhstan, which had been a con consistent factor before. And also I had become comfortable reading the Cyrillic language. And one of the things that intrigued me about Russian at the start was I wanted to be able to read a different script. There was my first different script, Cyrillic. Not that difficult, you might say, but it was, you know, it would still make me feel like I'd really achieved something. And that made a big difference. So actually, when I looked at it, I felt like, yes, to a certain extent, I, I did get what I came for. I never did imagine myself fluently holding in-depth conversations or reading like one piece in the original. God, no, I can imagine a lot more interesting things to do with my life, personally. And at that point, I could say, yeah, I got what I came for. And if I want to go back to Russian, I will again be, f be able to ask myself, well, what am I here for? <laughs> and did I get what I came for? And can I, can I let go? So this will, I, f I feel like considering what you got out of a project that you don't think is complete with language learning, this happens naturally, right? We don't ever think we're complete. So it's difficult to let any language go considering what you got out of it and how far you did come and perhaps just making a note and saying, I actually learned Cyrillic and I learned basic Russian concepts that will stick with me forever and I learned how to pronounce a, a Russian word when I see it written down. Awesome. You know, those things can be enough. Maybe had I stayed with it for another two years, it's like, okay, I learned how to introduce myself, express myself, and ask a lot of questions, and listen to the radio. Those those can be things where you say, that's actually what I came for. I've got that now. I'm going to let this one go for now. So it's never, it's never forever. And ultimately, coming back to your to your question, Sheila, here is here's how I would sum up my answer to you. Your question shows that you have found most of your answers already and uh, sometimes you know you you write in and you say like do you think this is all right and I want to tell you yeah yeah <laughs> I'm a hundred percent positive about this your question is is smart and the way that you've put it shows that you you have pretty much made your decisions so don't let anybody including me deter you from what you're already doing number one you want to focus deeply on a small number of languages Number two, you want to give priority to languages that feel relevant for your future. Number three, you want to focus away from languages that are not relevant to your current goals. And you want to feel like it's okay to let go of languages and not feel beholden to them forever. All four of these goals are more than legit. And they can give you this more simplified bucket list. So if you trust your gut, you write your list and you allow yourself to look at it again in two years if you feel like you want to, that's more than enough. That's more than enough. I think most people I know either have a really long bucket list or none at all. <laughs> I think I fall into that category every time. If, if you ask me to list all the languages I want to learn in the world, I think I would very quickly just that would go out of con control quite quickly <laughs> because 
because I would end up with this sort of list of everything I've ever heard of. But very few people I know squash it all into a short period of time. So this is my final, final remark, really. I don't know your age, but there's a good chance you have at least 20 years of living, maybe even 40 or 50 years of life left to learn languages. And me, okay, me right now, I'm 35 years old. When I think ahead, I actually do have, what, a good 30 or 40 years at least to go, given average life expectancies and given the quality of my brain, as I hope it will be. And so consider the many polyglots who are in their 60s, who are in their 70s. I'm thinking Steve Kaufman. I'm thinking Alan Joven and Gareth Hopkins. And, oh, my God, I'm aging all these people and I don't want to do that. But you know what I mean. Think of all these amazing, impressive people and how far they have come and how nobody cares about how old they are. And they're still adding languages and they still feel like they've got plenty of time to go because they do. We have so much more time than we think. And a language that you let go at the moment where you say Hungarian, done with that, won't need that anymore. A language that you let go now could come back 15 years later and then you're going to be ready and you'll be surprised how much you remember. So those are my thoughts on simplifying your list of languages to be learned and choosing to streamline that list. I hope this was helpful. It was certainly an interesting question to debate with myself and to think about. And as ever, you all can send me your own questions. You can either email them to Kirsten, K-E-R-S-T-I-N, at fluentlanguage.co.uk, or you can tweet them to me at the Fluent Show, or you can find me on Instagram, hashtag The Fluent Show, and I'll usually be able to find you. Or I am Kirsten, K E R S T I N, underscore fluent on there, so you can tag me in your pictures as well. I will be absolutely delighted, <laughs> as I usually am when people do that on Instagram. You should also, if you have not done so already, consider sending me an intro for the show where you say your name, where you're from, what language you're speaking, and you say you are listening to The Fluent Show. And please do leave a review on iTunes if you can, or Apple Podcasts as it is called now. It really does help people discover The Fluent Show and it helps The Fluent Show get discovered by new people. And that's it from me. Next week, I'll be speaking to someone very interesting. Stay tuned and have a wonderful week. <laughs>